Hey guys, Splash here. Just quickly before the uh, before the podcast starts, I just want to personally apologise for the delay on this episode. Obviously, we're about four months late now, and I do apologise for that. Uh, real life caught up to me. A lot of stuff was happening. Didn't have time to edit it. So I just want to say, be aware that the content in this podcast episode will be outdated, as it is very, very old compared to what's come out recently. Um, obviously, as you've probably seen, we got featured on the uh, Frozen Byte Developer log and. Uh, we're also changing schedule to be more manageable for us. We're changing to a episode bi-weekly. So it's every two weeks we'll have a new episode. And we're now receiving help on editing from Free, who's obviously one of our uh, one of our guests. Um, so basically that's it from me. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Just thought I'd let you guys know. And once again, I sincerely apologize for the delay. Hi, I'm Splash, and you're listening to Channel Zero. They call me the Wanderer. So today we're joined by three different guests, and so we've got Wall, who was in the last episode, so you know everyone knows him. Uh, we're also joined by Kenator, so you know Kenator. Hi, I'm Kenator. I run my own faction, the Keybots, and also run a Starbase-oriented uh, YouTube channel. And we're also joined by Free. Hi, I'm Free. I'm the director of R&D at Skyjack Industries. This basically means that I'm responsible for figuring out the game mechanics and how we can apply them for designing ships, for example. Okay, and so today we're talking about, you know, what I mentioned at the end of the last episode. We're basically continuing on about kind of like the economy and how it will affect player events, and we're going to be taking a big focus and look at player events themselves. And so if anyone really has any starting remarks about that topic? Uh, yeah, uh, so we talked last episode, and we were discussing how uh, the fluctuating economy is going to change how players interact with each other and will hold these big events. Um, and by big events, we mean uh, companies hosting public forum events where you could come and join as someone from outside the company. Um, like one company has said that they want to host a sort of race, like sort of like a NASCAR or Formula One style thing. And I think that's really going to play into the economy, like with gambling or maybe sponsoring racers. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think sponsors would be pretty cool because um, it will allow, yeah, it will, it will make player events and it'll make the make player events a lot more interesting. And it'll make the universe feel like a lot more alive because you have like sponsors. And I think also another interesting thing would be like stuff like you've got with uh, GNN, Galactic News Network. They've got sponsors, if I remember correctly. And so it, I think it kind of makes the universe feel more alive and like feels like a better community because you've got like whole kind of simulations of kind of like real life within it. I really like the idea of the uh, the racing league. Um, I'm, I'm part of the, the Discord for it as well. And I just think it'd be a great idea for nice, peaceful competition between factions that may be at war, for example. They could still kind of interact with each other and, and fight in a kind of more friendlier, non-combat manner. I think that'd be really cool. I think it will also lead to like a lot different metas as well, because you know, if it, provided it gets big, you'd have obviously the very obvious meta, or not meta, but you know, kind of like attempts at making the most powerful combat ship. If the racing league became big, which I, I reckon it will. Um, you'll end up with like a whole different subdivision of a lot of people trying to focus on making the fastest, you know, best racing ship. And I think that will, you know, you won't just be focused on who can make the best PvP ship. There will also be who can make, you know, the fastest racing ship. I think this could have a really large impact on the economy of the game, actually. For example, if the racing becomes really popular, the demand for racing ships will become 
really large, that will just increase by a lot. So there will be a lot more companies focusing on these kind of designs. So I think it's really interesting how that affects the game's economy. Yeah, with the different uh, levels of flight computer as well, I think the the rarest one uh, requires a really expensive rare mineral. So I think that will help fluctuate prices of that one as well. Yeah, definitely. Kind of, if it pays off, will definitely like inflate prices of certain stuff, which you know could could you know as as a uh, free said affect the economy quite a large amount because you suddenly have these mining companies if they are getting these resources, it will suddenly become way more profitable from from a racing league taking off. It's certainly going to increase fuel usage. That's for sure. Oh, <laughs> I see. Um, when you have events that are dedicated to specific styles of gameplay, um, even if you have multiple different kinds of it, like maybe you have a combat event or like an arena sort of thing, um, they're going to fluctuate the prices of certain resources and seeing how that will affect how people strategically take certain resources and how they uh, bottleneck them to maybe make certain events more popular and how the whole ecosystem will respond to this is what I'm most interested in, I think. I think I'm also interested in like the social aspect of it, because say, for example, the race only did take off, you could end up with kind of like, you know, celebrities and obviously in air quotes, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, people are kind of more well-known around the community for being good racers. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the, the better points of, of the community as a whole, you know, being able to recognize people that are very good at one thing. Um, take Ockham, for example, who's been making a ton of ships over on the main Discord. Like, he's really well-known now for making really cool ship designs already. Yeah, I've seen a few of them. They actually look pretty good. I think we definitely maybe have to st- talk to him at some point because that'd be pretty, it'd be pretty cool because I have seen his designs and they're very good. But yeah, I think the racing league would be a very interesting concept, and I really, I do hope it does pick off or pick up. Sorry, because I think it would be very fun, and I'd personally like to enter myself. Oh, I'm definitely going to be entering. Yeah. So the thing you need to consider when talking about these playmate events and their effect on the economy is that the economy is a. Uh, large even you could call it living construct because if you have for example this racing league it will set off kind of a chain reaction in the economy racing ships will get more popular they have uh, they need rare minerals so mining will get um, better paid then this will ensue that transports are uh, being more popular because the minerals will be need to be, uh, to be transported and so on not only that, you're going to have also the other implications of how you're going to secure this uh, player-made event. So if it's a race, the race course itself needs to be secured from pirate factions and just raid factions that just want to come in and disturb it. So you're going to have to find uh, mercenaries to, to guard your event and patrol your event. They're going to need paying and they're going to need fuel and weapons and whatnot. Uh, then you've also got transporting your racing ship to the event as well you could end up with people setting up to sabotage you know like lead racers on the way to the event that could be quite interesting as well they could create like a whole separate section of economy just purely focused around just this one thing definitely um and something that i'm really interested to see is with these public events it's going to create opportunities for not only companies to compete and make a name for themselves but also for them to contribute in the operations of it so if they want to 
make themselves look like a upstanding part of the community, they might offer to secure the event for cheap or for free even. Um as as a way of building relations with the public. Yeah, and I think I think, you know, that kind of goes back to the thing of sponsorship and yeah, it would it would allow companies to kind of grow, as you said. What kind of events, uh, Kinder, do you are are you looking for outside of racing? Do you have any ideas personally? Um, I'm not really sure. I th- I think a like a treasure hunt type deal would be kind of funny. So you could like lead people from place to place to place, maybe solve a clue or something to to get the next location or coordinates, and you gotta have a kind of mini race to find like the prize at the end. That could be kind of cool. It would be it'd be really funny if uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I think it was Cicada Three Three O One. I think it was called. It was like this massive, like four year long online puzzle thing. But I honestly would love to see that recreated of Instarbase, and I think yeah, as you said, that'd be a really sick concept of just some mad treasure hunt. And then yeah, you could just have smaller ones as well. Yeah, I think it would take quite a bit to set up, but it could be very interesting to just like leave that first clue for the community and just see how much people could take to it a player event i also kind of want to see is kind of like a fight club kind of thing of like controlled warfare like you could have like a a cornered off area and you have like you know team capture the flags or like team or even you know like duels of just you know one fighter versus another fighter which i think would lead to some pretty cool not only you know like just gameplay aspects but also I think it would be pretty cool to watch as well. I had quite a few ideas myself. Um, and I think w- if we go into the whole events paradigm, then we're probably going to end up clustering it as one quote-unquote event, but it'll have different themes for each event. So it would be kind of like uh, is if uh, you took like the NFL and integrated other sports into it, it'd be kind of like that. Um, that way it, it doesn't limit us to just racing or to just this thing or that thing we can expand and explore other ideas for people to compete in so another thing to consider about these huge playmate events is that they will be really difficult to actually pull off successfully for example uh, the fighting league you guys mentioned would have to be organized correctly so people would actually be aware of it it would have to be protected uh, enough to uh, prevent pirates from raiding it or people from escaping with the price, for example, and so on. Definitely. I think that's going to come down to the company hosting it has to have the resources available. And I think trying to do this when you're undermanned is just going to put you behind. It's going to restrict the what you can do with the operation rather than expanding upon it. I think, yeah, it will definitely lead to, you know, I think you will have some big names in the hosting the racing league. As we know, there is already a whole faction dedicated around it. And I think other other events that would also be cool to see, because of course we have mentioned a few others, I think seasonal events would be cool, because a lot of the games do like seasonal stuff. But obviously the devs themselves have said they don't really want to, you know, kind of control the game too much. And so it'd be interesting to see if you have like... um. You know, players coming together to celebrate Christmas or Halloween or something. Definitely. Kinder, how do you feel that uh, this will affect faction interaction? Like, say two factions are at war, how will these events bring them together? Or will it divide them further apart and make them more at odds? 
Well, I think it can go either one of two ways. It will, as I said earlier, give them a route to compete in a very different manner that doesn't involve completely just obliterating each other at first sight. Or they just won't get involved at all because they'll be too busy fighting their wars. Um, with, with a lot of these like bigger, more aggressive factions, they're used to playing these games where you've got this PvP 24-7 fight style and they're used to having a fight that's a week long or two weeks long where they get different members in their faction from around the world and that fight just never ends. So they're used to that sort of gameplay. So to take people out of that to go do something else requires a lot more work on their end to make that work. And I don't think that they would they would do it unless there was an agreement there with whoever they're fighting. Well, something to to also consider is perhaps the prize pool of these events could be big enough for full companies to go in and say this is a strategic resource rather than this is a publicity stunt. Um, so if you have, like, maybe in, like, a combat gauntlet sort of style, you have these massive carriers, and it's company versus company. I'm talking hundreds of players on each side. If you have an event like that, you could say, at the end of the event, you can salvage from the wreckage whatever you want. Whatever's left is yours, if you win, whatever the win condition may be. And that may be a strategic resource, say, uh, to bolster their uh, military. I think they'd end up losing more than they would gain in that case. Because they still have to fix the ships that they used in the first place. Well, this would be like, you provide the ships sort of scenario. Like, the the event provides the carriers and the fighters. That is going to get expensive. That would be very, very expensive. What I was thinking for uh, for the races is that you would pay, like, an entry fee. And that would go towards helping secure and run the event, but also towards the prize pool to guarantee that there is something to win at the end. Yeah, because there's no point in racing if there's no prize. That's fair. So what are your thoughts on uh, like building competition-style events where resource a small amount of resources get uh, dedicated to them and they have like this many hours to build a ship using those resources in an enclosed environment, and then they use the ship for that uh, competition? I think that would be quite a cool concept because you've seen like uh, I can't remember what you, I think it was something like Last Time Gamers. There's something very similar on Space Engineers, and while it was a short-lived series, you didn't really do very many because, of course, after a while, uh, for a YouTube channel, it kind of got very repetitive. Um, I think actually watching it would be fun, but I, it was a very interesting concept, and I personally really did enjoy watching it on YouTube because I think it kind of made it much. Cooler, I think, especially for content creators, ho- content creators hosting them uh, would be very interesting because it makes for a much more, at least in my opinion, enjoyable watching experience and enjoyable experience for any spectator. Because not only do you see the ships fighting, you actually get to see the build process behind them. You know, you get to see the ship being built from the ground up. You know, the design chain is maybe you know haphazardly made halfway through, and it makes the you know when we actually come to battle, it makes it feel a lot more. I don't know, like kind of leading up to something a lot more because you can see them. You know, actually building it. I don't know about basing it off of a set amount of resources because the trying to figure out what you can build out of those components will be pretty tricky considering how many components there are in the game. It might work for something like Space Engineers with, you know, essentially a, a very limited selection of components in comparison to what Starbase has. But if you limited it to, say, a part count of like 1,000 parts or 2,000 parts per ship, 
that you could probably get away with a bit better. But that would be dependent on uh, having like a part count listed in the design, uh, the ship designer. So an even an event like that would probably attract most of the huge design factions or um, lone designers as well. Like they would be really lucrative for larger design factions to gain publicity. Then you've also got to think about how is that going to be judged at the end? You know, is there going to be a, like a, a set of tests that that ship has to then complete? Maybe like a, a small race, a cargo run on, or how much cargo capacity can take and um, target practice or whatever. See how many uh, like drone targets it can take down in a certain amount of time. Right. And that would be like, so think of, uh, you, you've seen people with like Airsoft uh, having all the parts of their gun or having a gun and dismantling it and then rebuilding it, that sort of thing, where you take the components of the ship and you build whatever the ship that you need is supposed to look like and supposed to function like. And then you have to go and compete at the time limit with the other ships. So if it's a your task is to build a racing ship and you uh, maybe one of your thrusters, the line got cut accidentally or something along those lines, or you forgot to connect it, then you have to race with one thruster gun. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting. Really throw in a lot of uh, limitations and really show who is the most efficient uh, designer and uh, construction worker. Yeah, I think efficiency is going to be a very big thing in this, like overall, the whole game with like how many parts you make your ship out of. You know, could you use a really long beam instead of several short beams? Uh, for instance, just to bring that part countdown because it's that part limit that really chooses the performance level of your ship. Now, we've seen the, the biggest Empire ship that they've got is something like, I think it was 96,000 parts. It was, a, uh, it was 115 meters. Yeah, 115 meters, which isn't that particularly big for a ship, um, especially not what people are used to out of like space engineers, for example. So if you could make a bigger or more efficient ship, more lightweight ship for using less parts or using the bigger parts instead of having lots of smaller parts, that could be a key like telling sign on, on how good a ship is and how efficient it will be as well. But then, and you know, this could be entirely wrong when the game releases, that may kind of affect durability because if, at least in my mind, if you have like lots of really long beams, if one of those beams gets destroyed, that's now a massive beam section you're missing. If you've got a lot of short beams, one beam can get destroyed, but you've still got a lot larger kind of area of beams. That's the that's the payoff then, I guess. It depends what you're, you're, you're building for. If you're building a racing ship, you're going to want efficiency. If you're building a combat ship, you're going to want redundancy. So something to note about what you just said, Splash, is you said if you had a really long section of beam versus multiple sections of beam that were connected together, and we're just talking like a line, no matter where it gets cut or which beam gets cut, that whole beam section is then useless because it's no longer connected. Um, unless you have it uh, teeing off at every beam, there really is no benefit. No, but what I mean is, like, if you've got a large section of armor connected to it. Oh, that is true. Then if the giant beam is kind of cut, it all comes off. Or if a single small beam is cut, only a section of it comes off. No, no well, that depends on your bolting. Yeah, and it also, it may not even make a massive difference, because, you know, it's a voxel destruction, so it's not like, you know, once the beam gets below a certain hit point, it then just entirely disappears. This small section will be cut out, depending on where you shoot it, so mm -hmm. it may not make any impact whatsoever, but... 
Well, there is a there is a, a thing that can cause that, and that's corrosive damage. I think. Yes. Oh, so maybe does it carry across? Like, or does it just stay on the single structure it's hit? It's it's well, I think it stays on the structure it's hit. But if you then like, if you get corrosive damage, and then that structure is cut in two, both bits will have corrosive damage on it for a certain amount of time. Mm, okay, so maybe the less you know more beams could work then. Yeah. Something I was considering for this though is. Not only when you connect multiple beams together, does it like, like, say you connect three beams together, not only is it just going from three parts to one, but you also have to consider the brackets and the bolts that are connecting them. So that kind of sort of extrapolates on top of the effect because you have to connect every single beam to every other beam. And you have the bracket and two bolts or more if you're paranoid. Um, that could be potentially what, nine. To twelve parts ish. It could be. It could end up being very time consuming if you're building it by hand. Because yeah, you'd have to place. Because from what we've seen, you'd have to place every single bracket independently. Right. Which would have a lot of just going back and forth over and over, picking up a bracket, moving it across. So. I do have a question about the the efficiency of the game. Is how big do you think the automation companies are going to be? Like where they they man, either manufacture whole ships automatically, out excluding uh, pipes and wires and like specialty items, but just the hull, and uh, maybe even just like sub ship parts, so like large sections of hull that could just be applied to a large number of ships. To start with, I think at least I I think it's going to take months before anyone gets a manufacturing system that will build a complete finished ship obviously minus cabling and, and whatnot but like a full finished ship i don't think that's going to happen for months but larger like component parts i think yes you could get it to like make you specific beams and and armor bolted on and things like that but for a whole ship it's it's going to take a lot of setup to get that right i think it's going to be a bit of a race well, yes, but once these companies are established, I think they will be very valuable for the market because as Starbase is a game where combat will be mattering a lot, they would be constantly uh, producing warships, for example, as there would be high demand for them. This is true, but you've also got to take into consideration that on one side, you're going to have these people wanting to make their manufacturing plants that will build this one specific type of ship. But that plant itself will be have to set up to make that one ship. And if you want to make a different ship, you're going to need a completely different setup for your manufacturing. Whereas the other side of the, the coin or the equation is going to be people that are designing it in the ship designer, making it, getting the station to build it for them. It's going to be more expensive, but they can then test and iterate that design a lot quicker. And if there's a big problem or if the meta changes, they're going to come around with a solution much, much quicker than the the companies or factions that have these manufacturing capabilities because it's going to take so long to set up a new manufacturing route for a different ship. Right, and I think that's going to come down to is being able to use a combination of both methods, because like you said, being able to test different designs and, and see if things are working the way that you expect them to, using the ship designer and to build it um, is, is a good way to prototype it. But as, for economic efficiency, you're going to want that automated setup. So once you find that design, it might be beneficial to transition your method of production. And also, due to the fact that if you have a design, pretty much anyone could go into a ship designer and build it and pay for it with the 
with the station payment system in game, but not everyone is going to have that level of income or that money available. So they're going to be looking for cheaper, better alternatives. Oh, I, I agree. Like in the long run, if you're mass producing a ship and, you know, the meta's not going to change for a while or hasn't changed for a while, then yeah, you're going to make a lot more money on your ship sale if you've gone out and gathered materials and factory built your machine, uh, factory built your ship without having to pay the station to do it for you then yeah, that's going to work absolutely great. But the second it changes, then you've got a big job to re- redo your factory. So it's, yeah, it's a risk-reward and, and payoff for, for di- different circumstances. I mean, it also depends how much the meta changes. Like, if the meta just changes weapons-wise, it would take a lot less retrofitting because you just have to change kind of how the arms move in our position just to attach different weapons or maybe slightly change the frame to attach different weapons. But yeah, if like the whole meta changed, like everything, like you know entire ship design goes out the window then yeah it would have massive time to have to redesign the entire factory that's the thing like if you have just weapons change if they bring in a new damage type or weapon type that may change your entire armor strategy for a ship you know people might be doing like multi-layered hulls for you know got uh, defense against uh, torpedoes or missiles and then if suddenly a different type of weapon that maybe does fracture damage all the way through the ship then you're gonna have to start thinking. oh god yeah they, they could add literally anything they could have it like set fire to the inside of your ship it could be all sorts of different things they can do and they're going to be adding all of these new types of weapons like through early access so i think it will it won't just change your weapon setup i think it will change the way you want to defend against these weapons as well yeah, and like touching, touching about on like a side note, I think one weapon that would be sick to see is like you said, because I think we do have a few weapons that kind of fracture individual pieces, but I think one weapon that would be cool to see is kind of like you'd have to be like quite close. Like the best way I can describe it is like a seismic audio weapon that kind of just shatters everything, which would be pretty sick. Now, this is probably also why um, having automated production of a ship is or can be pretty rewarding but it's also a really risky thing in case something gets changed you have to scrap the whole factory if it's worst case i think best case scenario is for production companies to have a methodology for creating these factories in which they build them in a modular setting so they structured in a way that you don't have to completely redesign the entire factory. You just have to rearrange, maybe have some rail movers with the actual assembly arms that uh, can reposition them and then just reprogram each one in its new position and go from there. Especially if you're going from uh, building it is as a sub building blocks. So say you take uh, the bottom half of the hole and then you take the front right corner you only have to build that front right corner in the line and then attach that. If you were to change something, you just have to change that part of the ship. Now, that would probably even result in factions that are entirely specialized on building factories simply because it is a really hard thing to pull off correctly and in a in a in an effective way. But like also on the whole modular kind of just one thing being you know, like one corner being just separate and being attached. But, you know, for all we know, there could be a limit on, like, how much attractive beams can can move because from what we've seen from the footage, it seems to be one of the only really ways you can effectively move all the pieces would be through the, you know, kind of like tractor beam things. And so there may be a weight limit on them. 
Well, so from what I understand is it's it applies force based on the mass of the object and the distance from its origin, so whatever's projecting the tractor beam. And then if it's heavier, it's going to get further away, but as it gets further away, it's going to apply more force to it to catch it up to the host ship. Um, so it'll just be a question of power at that point, I think. And I think it'll be probably be an exponential sort of uh, formula to limit you uh, hypothetically rather than literally. Mm. Another thing to consider is we were, we were talking about meta changes and uh, say the addition of a new damage type or a new weapon that changes armor. And rather than completely scrapping your production for that ship, sell it at a discount. You know, uh, as you work on the new ship, you sell this new sh this old ship for a discount to the public, get more sales out of it, and then eventually, yeah, it'll stop being bought because everyone either has a ship, has that ship, or because it's obsolete. In which case, you can just repurpose it for a later project. But while you're selling it at discount, you can start on your new factory somewhere else. I guess that fully depends on how much profit margin you have in your ship in the first place. That's fair. That's a fair point. Because at the moment, we don't know how much the ships are going to cost that the the devs have put in the game. Now, if you want to make a, a ship that's kind of equal to one of those, but your own version, you've got to be able to get the parts cheaper or the resources cheaper and then get it built cheaper than them to offer it at a cheaper price. But then you don't know how much profit margin that they've built right. into their costs as well. Well, so the thing about the the with like insurance, and I assume also the ships in the station that you can buy pre-built. I assume it's a similar pricing model based on the uh, the parts in use. That's the only, and maybe like have some sort of multiplier based on the part count. So bigger ships cost more. It's not like a linear increase. Um, that's just speculation, but that's how I would see it being done, and. They, the way they explained it is building it from the resources will always be much, much cheaper than if you were to buy the resource, buy the uh, parts or to buy the ship directly, um, which leads me to believe that the markup on uh, refining and manufacturing is going to be massive. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it definitely is from the, uh, the point of buying it from the station and getting the station to do that for you. Um, but that's you. You've got the other side of the coin of that is building it yourself is at least by hand hugely time intensive. Oh yeah, like they said something like it would take one person what fifty hours to make their biggest ship right now. Yeah, I think they they built it with a team of people over the course of two two or three months, I think. But yeah, if you knew where everything went, or if you were doing it from a blueprint that you'd already set up, then. Um, yeah, you could probably do it a bit quicker, but it's still going to take right. a long while. That's insane. The, just the amount of time that's going to go into actually like designing the ship as well, um, and redesigning even. If you get halfway through it and you decide, hey, this isn't a great place for this, you have to completely strip it back and figure out how to re or rearrange things. Uh, there's so many things to consider as well, because you've got to have access points for coolant cells, um, reloading ammunition reloading missiles you've got to be able to uh, change the fuel rods there's, there's so much stuff that you're going to need access to within a ship just for its maintenance i think also though like a lot of people have been kind of 
worrying about how, you know, obviously on they have all these plans for these massive ships. But on early access, they're saying it's probably going to be limited to around the maximum, you know, large um, empire ship they've made. I think, obviously, from my, you know, limited knowledge and looking at the videos, I still think that's a reasonable size within the game because, obviously, we don't know... Obviously, we know it's 150 metres, and, yeah, but it's a lot smaller than what we're used to in Space Engineers. But from when I was watching it, I still felt like that was a pretty large and substantial ship. Like, it was still going to be able to be quite a powerful and large ship, even of that size. Oh, definitely. And another thing that people are completely underestimating is how many people you need to crew this. Like, Space Engineers, yes, you could make a half a kilometre long ship cover it with guns and then you know the computer takes care of the rest because all the guns auto target and work by themselves but you play it in starbase you're going to need people to man different sections of your ship where you've got maybe the the front top corner that all their guns are slaved together and the bottom left is all slaved together as well and they're going to have to be targeted separately or you'll have individual people per gun which i think will be a really interesting scenario oh no <laughs> So, so that's actually been a common uh, conversation topic for us when we're designing ships is when we have a order come in or a plan for a ship, figuring out and agreeing upon the actual crew is so frustrating because everyone has their own view on who needs to do what. And I just keep going back to the example of the developer said that even with like three or four people on some of their small to medium sized fighter, they were getting a bit overwhelmed with all the stuff they had to keep up with in their uh, battle scenes. Um, and I think that's really going to be a good benchmark for where, what we should aim for. And I think going off having to have these large crews will lead to, I think, a very different kind of style of gameplay than what a lot of people who first see it think of. Because a lot of people, when they first see it, especially if you haven't really read into it a lot, will kind of think, oh, space engineers. And, you know, kind of like evil line kind of size fleets. It will be nowhere near that, you know. Like, it may be really well optimized to be able to support that size of fleet. But realistically, you're going to be getting nowhere near the size of these massive fleets you see in other games. Like, most large engagements will probably be maximum five of these massive ships. Because that will be about as much as, you know, a single faction, some of these large factions, can really fill to put out at a time. I don't know about that. I think, honestly, it's going to come down to being able to automate certain things on the bigger ships. Because, of course, with the bigger ships, you could have up to, like, 30 crew, 50 crew, including uh, boarding security, so to prevent people on the ship, as well as uh, to account for losses during the battle so it can still function. I think ring bare minimum is going to be a problem. But you have, when you have factions claiming they have about 1,000 members, and the game isn't even out yet, so as soon as the game comes out, that's going to skyrocket. You're going to have probably tens of thousands of members in the main factions that aren't dev factions, of course. Um, and I think they will have the resources. I think they will have the people to man these massive ships. But I think it'll be less so about having these massive ships as their primary force. It'll be these ships reinforcing a fleet of smaller ships, maybe even as just carriers. Um, but of course, me and 3 have been working on the automation technology of certain things. And uh, 3, without giving away anything, Maybe you could go into a little bit of uh, insight into how we would automate and go about automating these functions. So we would basically take away some of the crew needs for repeating tasks that are day-to-day uh, -day needed. 
so we can limit the needed crew count, which would be really important because it's basically also a large limiting factor to a ship's size and the fleet's size. For example, you could automate the weapons in some basic function to limit the amount of guns you need. Excellent. And um, something that that uh, people have been saying that they're struggling with is th they're saying that there is no form of automatic tracking. And I say that is a limit of your applications. If you can figure it out and figure out how to combine these mechanics, you can do it. The, all of it, everything that you need is already in the game. You just have to figure out to how to assemble it. Um, and I think that's really where the research companies are going to come in because they're going to have new ways of having asynchronous uh, parallel systems that essentially increase the uh, clock speed, essentially. And that will allow you to have near real-time computation using the YOLO chips. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Kinnitter? Well, I'm, I'm not a... Uh... A huge YOLO pro for coding and stuff, but um, I don't know. It depends. We're going to have to get in game for that sort of stuff to really see what is possible to test these theories out. Because at the moment, until we actually get the game, it's all they are is theories. So while they, it could work on paper, if it doesn't work in game, then that takes out an entire chunk of research that you might have already done. Um, so they, they, these these theories definitely need proving before they can be put into action. Um, for the crew needs on a ship, I think the most important part of a crew is going to be the repair crew, because you're you are definitely going to get situations where your power is going to be cut to your weapons, and you could have the biggest ship as you like, but if you if your main lines and redundant lines of energy get cut to your reactor, all your ships are just going, uh, your, all your guns are just going to go dead, and you're going to need crew to prioritize those specific repairs. And no automated system is going to be able to do that for you. Right, and I think that that really emphasizes the point that people are underestimating the amount of work that goes into keeping ships running. Like, not only do you have to like repair these wires and man the guns and control subsystems like uh, using user input to confirm or deny uh, certain parameters. But also you have to consider is fuel management. Like who's going to walk down to the other end of the ship and replace some fuel rods. You don't want to have to le everyone leave their posts to go do this. Um, this needs to be something that is taken care of at its source. And having those extra people do that will just make you that much more efficient in combat. So it'll just raise the crew requirements even further. Right. Um, I think this is also one of the most important tasks of a design team of a company. That is to limit or just minimize the amount of effort it takes to refuel a ship, for example, or just keep it running. Because that is uh, one of the most influential factors to the crew amount needed. I think with regards to efficiency, I'm also interested to see exactly how the quote-unquote space drag will work, because I've seen lots of different stuff being flung around the Discord. You've got some people going, oh, it's completely simulated off how, you know, like IRL drag works, and depending on how heavy the vehicle is, you have to have a very, you've got to have above a certain threshold of thrust to keep it going. Well, other people are going, oh, as long as the ship has at least some 
you know, uh, force being applied to it will continue going at a constant speed. Well, they have said that the optimal thrust is 70 or around 70%. I doubt it's actually exactly 70%, but with the optimal being 70%, if you were to lower it below that, I have a feeling then your max speed would lower. So as far as drag goes, I would say that the function or the, the equation for it is something tied into both your mass and your speed. So the higher your speed, no matter what your weight, the higher your drag, the higher your mass, no matter what your speed, the higher your drag. Um, how that exactly that's associated, I can't say, but I can say that uh, heavier ships will require almost exponentially more thrusters to go at the same speeds as a fighter. Oh, I, I completely agree as well. It, it's definitely going to be based on weight. And something that the devs have said as well, that max limit of 150, no dev has even reached that yet. That's the limit they coded in the game, but they haven't built a ship that can go that fast yet. So there is a curve involved. It's not linear. But with, like, the drag, is uh, obviously it's kind of sounding a bit dumb, but is there going to be, like, some sort of aerodynamics or is it purely not obviously not aerodynamics but something similar like if you shape your ship will it go faster or is it purely based off weight it is purely based off mass okay so i can make some monstrosity brick thing well the developers even have like the fastest ship that they've shown is just a brick it's just a box with thrusters on the back and they saw it spinning around um and saw it taking off as well and I think it's also really important to know just how fast it is accelerating. Not just how fast it's going, but how quickly it gets to that speed. Um, and that's going to be a big part of designing bigger ships and uh, trying to make them combat efficient. Because if you have a massive ship and you don't have enough thrusters, it's going to not be able to accelerate very quickly. And if you have, say, a torpedo coming in from medium range, if you can't get up to speed... You're not going to be able to dodge it, even like especially with the tracking. Yeah, I think these are the values that companies, as uh, I think actually all of them, will want to figure out pretty early, like as early on as possible, because they are crucial for designing ships the right way. Right, and me and three, I actually uh, spoke with you about how to uh, not directly find it, but draw data on the drag. So essentially measuring speed of a ship using a third party or a, a disconnected uh, system, or maybe even on board if you could figure it out. But utilizing that to figure out the position of the ship, uh, then you get a function for that, you integrate it, um, or actually you take the derivative of it, and then you take the derivative of that, you get the acceleration. Um, so if you reach max speed and then you cut your thrust and you can see how quickly you are decelerating, you'll know exactly how much force is being applied to your ship at any given time. So it's going to come down to data processing as well out of game, which I think is going to be really cool uh, and being able to trade that data. Well, yes, I think many companies underestimate the value of R&D because it's uh, like they don't really think that much about these values that they need to know in order to design ships efficiently and optimally. I think a big problem is going to be a lot of companies are going to neglect the research part and 
that's not going to work for them because research is what drives the meta. It, the, finding these new techniques of doing things is what is going to determine what is quote unquote best in slot. And I think by having people dedicated to just testing the mechanics and learning the game, if you have a whole team of people doing that, that puts your company miles ahead of it, what any other company could do, even if they had a hundred more people working on a project. I mean, it could even lead to like uh, research deals of, you know, companies going, okay, we'll combine R&D departments or combine resources to get this, you know, massive project, you know, researched. Or just research companies that don't build ships. They just research and uh, take on contracts for people. Um, and this also goes into like the whole trading of information. Like I've seen uh, some companies say that they want to trade exclusively in information about the game and about uh, political standpoints and uh, trade secrets. So I think uh, figuring out one, how to f discover new mechanics or new applications of mechanics in the game, as well as figuring out how to keep them from people that aren't supposed to have them is going to be a really interesting uh, topic of discussion. So another thing you have to consider is with these uh, research and development uh, portions of the community, is they are building up different factions right now, even before the game comes out, and um, theorizing about the game, which, of course, brings in a level of planning that some companies may not be accounting for. They may just be like, okay, we'll figure it out when we get in the game, but that may be a while. So taking this time to plan before we get access to the game is going to be crucial to the success of uh, early game. Maybe not long-term, but it's going to get you a head start. Um, especially like going into the groups that are selected for uh, maybe the closed alpha. Because uh, right now we don't know how they're doing their selection process. We don't know how they're transitioning from closed alpha to closed beta, open beta, so on. And whether that comes down to they're going to do a server wipe to transition, uh, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts? I think the selection for the closed beta and closed uh, alpha will be very important. It'll be interesting to see what we do, because obviously if either, you know, some factions get in, some don't, or some, or a large group of, you know, players from one faction get in where no, none, no other factions really do, I feel like it would lead to quite an unfair advantage. I think they definitely have to have server wipes going into an open beta state to allow for an even playing field. But I think they would also need to kind of look at who they're going to let in because I feel like there would be a massive advantage to already having game experience from the closed alphas and betas. So as far as I see it, the people are thinking that getting hold of uh, access to closed beta is going to be super key and stuff for, for getting ahead. And I think that's uh, completely wrong, mostly due to the fact that a lot of these systems are pure bare bones right now. And the whole point of the closed alpha is to break the game, figure out where it's going wrong, what's not working correctly, and report that back to the devs. And the more people actively report the problems, the quicker we'll get out of the, the closed section and more into an open section. As for how they want to assign people to it, they I think Lowry was saying um, initially they just want to bring in a small select bunch of active community members um, from like either active on forums, active on the Discord, that sort of thing. Um, bring them in, 
get testing with those guys first, and then they want to gradually increase the amount of people who have access to the closed, and then eventually opening up to many, many players. And so it's just going to be this, that, that different stages of testing, and that's all they're going to be focused on is you know what's working, what's not working, and how quick can we fix it. And then at the end of the closed beta, they are going to wipe everything and then open it up to early access. Oh, nice. Uh, that's a good idea. And regarding, like, accessing the close, how early do we think it's going to happen? Because obviously, you know, some people may not like me mentioning this. There was that whole conspiracy theory on the, oh, there was a 16, and which I personally don't believe, you know, it's just two different designs they showed. But also that whole conspiracy theory that kind of triggered people into it. What what is everyone's kind of opinion of when you think we're going to get it? Do you think we are going to get? Obviously, on my Steam page, it still says twenty nineteen. So, do you think we're still going to get at least like a close alpha this year, or do you think it now will be delayed to next year? Definitely going to be this year. Definitely. Judging from like, because obviously I I do the the news updates as a video format every week, and looking at everything they're currently doing over the last two three weeks now, including this week, they've listed quite a little quite a bit of polished states and you don't polish anything in a game until large section events are complete so with that amount of polish and specifically focus on multiplayer testing i can see it um coming very soon and my personal prediction is by the end of this month for closed alpha closed beta testing and obviously with play testing coming out how well do we think you know like obviously it will still require, you know, a fairly decent PC, but how well do you think it is going to be optimized? Like, you know, what, because of course at the moment, if I remember correctly, on the minimum specs on a Steam page, they're saying like 1066 gigs and like a relatively new CPU. Do you think it will get optimized better beyond that point? Or do you think that will kind of be the limit due to kind of the technical, you know, technical, uh, you know, all the processing and stuff the game has to do? I, th- I think it'll be completely fine for for a lot of people. Um, a few devs have stated that they, you know they've tested it on their home PCs, and that's pretty much the only differences they've got from their their work PCs. And some of these people have like Core i fives, you know, they're not particularly strong processors, and they, they say it works fine. Um, from what I've seen from the little bits they've shared on the Discord as well. Uh, in terms of texture resolution, they've really op- done well c- currently uh, from the beginning of optimizing how low the texture resolutions will go to save on graphics card memory. So if you've got an older graphics card with, say, 2 gigs of memory or 4 gigs of memory, then you're still going to be able to run it just as well as the the higher level ones. That's a worry I've been seeing a lot of people coming from Discord. And I, for one, am worried about it because not until at least after Christmas, most likely after my you know kind of birthday, I'm stuck with basically a 1052 gig. And, you know, a lot of people kind of in the same position as me. They've still got, you know, the kind of lower end, less powerful graphics cards that are kind of very much showing their age now and very much limiting us on what we can actually play. I think you'll be fine. Yeah, me and me and a lot of other people I've seen on Discord very worried that if we do get some sort of playability, sure, you may get invited to it, but will you actually be able to play it? Well, that's part of the testing as well. They they need to test many, many different types of system setups, and they're not going to be able to do that without getting more people involved. And that's, a, a, again, a large part of what the closed testing is for. But for lower-end graphics cards, sure, you'll be able to play it, I think, definitely. You just won't be able to turn it up to quite a high level uh, as what 
other people will with more powerful graphics cards. I think it will scale really well. Um, I'm perfectly happy to have it on lower graphics settings, just as long as I, still I think you'll be fine. Can hit consistent 60 FPS, so I can still play the game, but isn't you know mad lag or slow down when we have combat or collisions. I'll, I'll be perfectly happy. I don't really care if I'm getting you know lower graphics or less lighting interactions or anything compared to other people. I think it's going to be really important with the optimization of it as well is not finding like minimum specs, but optimizing it for the stronger PCs uh, because building your game only to be optimized for that lower end sort of system, there needs to be some sort of accurate scaling. And if you don't test it on the super high end computers as well, and this is going to go back into the closed alpha, closed beta scenario is if you're not getting that level of performance for what you paid for for your graphics card, people are going to see your game as unoptimized when in reality it's just optimized for a different region of the population. So something back on the week 43 update for the, the progress update, they've got an automatic LOD system, which I think is pretty genius. Uh, basically, it will regenerate the mesh using voxels instead of the actual mesh itself. So if you're on a really low-end computer, it will redo all the meshes in the game for you to a much lower level of detail. So it's going to be rendering a lot faster, use a lot less RAM, and it can scale that all the way from the lowest end to the highest end, because the highest end can just use the models that we're seeing on screen at the moment. Something I am really interested in is... Uh how they handle the actual models of the ship from what it looks like. It looks like as you build the ship, it becomes one model, but with like multiple hit regions. Is that about how it uh, works? Would you say? But like visually, it is one model. From what I've seen, yeah, visually, that's just down to how close the the snapping is this is this is why all the sizes of everything is important and why they've put so much time into the modularity of all the components to make everything fit precisely so if you've got two polygons from two different models that are smack bam next to each other they are going to look exactly like the same piece of model and that's what you're seeing but they're always going to be separate pieces so if you've got one armor plate that gets destroyed it doesn't have to re-split a model it's always separate it just looks like it's one so graphically, it, it unifies the visual representation, but uh, but as far as uh, hitboxes go, it treats them as separate, is what I'm gathering from that. And that's really interesting how they did that as well, is, uh, because uh, some games, like uh, I'm pretty sure with uh, Space Engineers, it doesn't update the visual module, uh, uh, the visual model, sorry. It renders them all separately in a grid. And I think that's where the two games split. No, no, that's exactly the same. Oh, wait, the, do they have the same tech? Yeah, well, kind of. They, as far as Space Engineers is concerned, they do it exactly the same. So where you get the two cubes of armor blocks next to each other, the, the bit that they've done differently there is they've made it so their textures will tile across all continually flat surfaces. And so it looks like one surface, but exactly the same as in Starbase. Starbase doesn't have any textures on its armor plates yet. That's going to come a bit later. But it's the exact same thing. They, they, they're perfectly aligned next to each other. There's no gap in between them. So you, you visually see them as one piece, but they're always separate pieces. And so I think those, you know, as you were saying, the meshes kind of, while looking the same, being separate, will be very important for combat. 
because you know you've got to have those accurate hitboxes even when at range. But obviously, we'll talk more about that next episode where combat and PvP will be our main focus. But for now, to uh, round off the episode, we're going to be asking Kenator a few little questions. So straight away, Kenator, just you know, it's a very simple question: What kind of are your aims, you know, within Starbase? For me, I just want to get involved in a lot of um, stuff where you can just work together with people. I don't care if it's going on fleet battles. I just want to be like a part of the crew or leading a crew or like co a cooperative ship designing, that sort of stuff. It's just the whole working together with people is something I never really got enough of out of games like Space Engineers and Starbase is really going to deliver on that, I think. So you're like really aiming to be part of the community then? Oh, definitely. Very hands-on uh, with your, uh, especially with your factions interactions. Um, rather than just playing behind the scenes, you're down there working with them. Oh, definitely. Like, I don't like having like big rank structures in in factions. I think it can really bog some factions down when they go a bit too over the top with it. And I also strongly believe in leading by example. So if you're going to ask something, someone to do something, you best know how to do it yourself as well. Right. That's actually something that we are very uh, dedicated to in Skyjack is uh, to get a position, you have to at least be competent in the positions that are you're kind of leading. Um, so if you're in charge of figuring out orders, you have to know the entire design process and what works, what doesn't, why, and be able to tell people why it doesn't work. Um, and that's going to go into combat as well. Even when it goes all the way down to like the basic jobs, like going out and doing mining, I'm going to be right there with the rest of my faction guys, and we're all going to do it as like a group activity because I don't want to send people off to go work for me. They're playing the game for fun, so we'll make it a fun thing to do together. Right. Uh, I did have uh, another question: Is how do you see your channel's content evolving after the game comes out? That's a really good question. Uh, I'd love to know the answer myself. Um, I really wasn't expecting the response that I already had. Like the first, I think, two months, the views were kind of just trickling in. It was exactly what I expected out of a brand new channel on YouTube. And then one night, everything changed. YouTube decided to recommend it to like another 20,000 people. And just everything just went haywire and now all of a sudden people are recognizing like who i am on the discords and um, leaving tons of comments on my videos and it's just been an incredible um development really and i just hope it continues really i don't i don't really look for anything more than that i enjoy making the videos as long as people enjoy watching them that makes me happy too and so you mentioned like people kind of recognizing you and like also your faction earlier can you tell us like a little bit about your faction so my main, my main goals for the faction is just making it a friendly place to enjoy and learn how to play the game. Uh, and as I was saying earlier with the group activities, we want to get involved in, you know, having a segment that wants to race to the moon and, you know, give Lunar Corp some competition, for example. Um, the racing league that's going to be set up, I want to get a team in on that, maybe be a racer myself. It could be a lot of fun. So, yeah, we want to focus around like stuff that we can all do together and, and, and get involved with. Now, do you see when the game comes out, do you see yourself being a uh, more of a reporting sort of channel where you give like changes to the game and maybe uh, 
faction status updates, or do you see yourself actually recording the gameplay um, and uh, maybe like uh, commentating on what you're doing and uh, where you see the game going from in the game? Uh, both, actually. Um, like because I'm a 3D artist by trade. I kind of, as as you might have seen in some of the the news updates I do each week, I kind of break down some of the more developer orientated terms that they use to a bit more plain English, so people can understand them. So I can, I, I'd like to speculate further on where the game's going to go once it's out and we're actually inside and seeing what you can do in the game. That'd be really cool. I really want to cover player uh, events like we spoke about earlier. Anything that people setting up, be it like combat events, racing events, uh, as well as being part of those if I can, I also want to cover them and show them off to everybody else on the channel. Right, and I think it's going to be really cool to to see your kind of story for building up this faction, and even if it's not meant to be a uh, game-changing faction or... Um, you know, the top three, the big three that are eventually going to settle, I think it's going to be really cool to see how you build up that community. And uh, even if you're not part of it, be able to track the progress of these people that come and go as you progress. Yeah, one, one of the things I was really hoping to do is kind of build a signature ship. So hopefully it doesn't get copied, but I'm sure someone will try and troll people. But if they see that ship, they kind of know it's me and then won't attack me because they know I'll be doing stuff for the channel. And then I'll have like my normal ship when I'm doing like faction activities with the rest of my crew. Then, you know, if there's people that hate my faction and want to go to war with me, well, then that's fine. But if I'm in my kind of Kenator ship, then they they know that I'm trying to cover something for the channel that will most likely benefit them as well. So hopefully people can give me a little kind of green card on uh, on a pass for certain areas of space and then that way i can go around i can visit people's mega stations i can visit people's shipyards and factories and do little tours of them without having to fight my way across the system to try and just go do a quick interview with somebody <laughs> in game but we'll see um, when it turns around yeah and so i think we've got one more question from free yes i was uh, about to ask will you uh, are you considering to be um main media person about Starbase, so will you be more uh, a person with a lot of influence in the media about Starbase, or do you plan to take it a more casual route and do it um, besides your main I mean, in game? Do you mean like real life media or just like media like in the game and just YouTube? I think, I mean, um, basically mainly the media in game and YouTube, but you could also take it to real life. Uh, well, for me, I think that's up to the community at large, to be fair. Uh, I don't get to decide how popular I am or who I represent. It's up to the community to choose who represents them as a community. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think it's up to me. But I've got good response so far, so we'll see. All right, and then also I wanted to touch on the importance of what you're doing with the patch notes, because uh, like you said, you translate what the developers say in the developer language into plain English for people that aren't necessarily more familiar with their, uh, their the words that they use and the uh, acronyms. But it can be even uh, boiled down to you taking this information as if it's a research document, because a lot of uh, 
primary sources most people wouldn't understand, but then you have academic journals where journalists will read this primary source and translate it and report on it and uh, explain the implications of it to people that can't piece that together themselves. And it's very important that you're doing that for the player base, for people that can't. Yeah, I've had a, a, a few uh, comments actually on some of the videos thank me explicitly for doing that sort of thing. And I think it's really important because there's a lot of tech that they talk about in some of these news updates, like uh, triplanar textures. That will basically mean you can just put a texture on any shape, which is the problem at the moment, why we don't have textures on the armor plates is because how do you get all of those armor plates to line up with their textures? Well, triplanar textures is the answer, and it just automatically maps all the textures onto the model. But if you just read that as triplanar textures, no one knows what the hell that means. So I like to add a bit of value that way. And so I think that is, that's the last of the questions. And so, you know, uh, Kenetor's channel that he's been talking about will be linked down below, really, uh, if you want to check it out. And uh, so, you know, until later, I've been Slash, drawn by Wall Kenetor of Free, and you've been listening to Channel Zero.